0: You take your Bible, please, and, and meet me in Matthew chapter 5. Today is, um, <clears throat> today is December 23rd, which of course means that Christmas is now just two days away. I love Christmas. As you know, as I've mentioned many, many times before, I love everything about Christmas, about the season and the various celebrations throughout. I love celebrating the meaning and, and message of Christmas, rejoicing, as I'm sure you do, rejoicing in the birth of Christ and all of its vast implication. But as we open our Bibles uh, this morning, I should probably let you know that if you're expecting a traditional Christmas message about the baby in the manger or the shepherds in the field uh, or the angelic choir that announced the Savior's arrival, you may be disappointed. I just want to say that up front. Because as I mapped this year's Advent series, I wanted to end in a slightly different way. This series has centered around the theme of light as it's traced uh, through Scripture. And Andre and I have tried to connect a few dots from beginning to end. From Genesis, when God spoke light into the world, to the dawning of new light as foretold by the prophets at a time when humanity walked in darkness, uh, to the arrival of Jesus Christ, who is the true light, To the end of the biblical narrative, as recorded in the book of Revelation, when we're told how the heavenly city to come will will be illuminated by the light of God's glory, and he will dwell with his redeemed people in perfect relationship, completely devoid of, of any sin or sadness. And I want this morning to be a connection of another sort. I want us to see that we are part of this string of lights, if you will, that that leads to that glorious future. We are part of the ongoing Christmas story. I I really want that to be impressed upon us uh, today. I, I want us to know that the Christmas message isn't only about Jesus and his birth or even about the second coming only. It's also about the light that Jesus has shown upon us and continues to shine in and through our lives. Today we turn to Matthew's gospel to consider a statement that Jesus made in his well-known sermon on the mount. There in Matthew 5 from this Uh, what is probably a very familiar declaration, there from this uh, declaration we learn that because the light of Christ is in us, it now shines through us into our world. And so let's read this. Matthew chapter 5. Just three verses. Verses 14, 15 and 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. We do want to just thank you for the wonder of this time of the year when we pause and we remember the 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 birth of our savior the coming of the eternal christ from heaven to earth the reason why he came what he accomplished when he came and that after his resurrection from the dead he ascended back to heaven and he promises that he is coming again and in this space between his first coming And his second coming, he's left us, his redeemed people, to carry on his work in his name. So in in this passage this morning, what is probably very familiar to us, we've probably, many of us, have probably heard these words many, many times. And I would just ask God, that today you'd speak them anew to our hearts. Make us us open and receptive to what you want to say to us today and how you want to direct our paths. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I think it's important that we begin with a very basic question but an important question that sets the stage. Really, it frames the whole Sermon on the Mount, and it, it certainly it sets the stage for what we're going to discuss today. And the question is simply: Who, who was Jesus talking to? In this passage, was he talking to people in general? No. Was he talking to the people of Israel uh, in particular? No. Uh, Instead, according to verse 1, he was talking to people who had begun to trust and follow him, to his disciples. And in these few verses before us today, he clarifies... Uh, What we are as disciples and what we are to do, saying in verse 14, You are the light of the world. Uh, He's talking about your identity as a Christian to who you are, to what you are. You are the light of the world. If you are a Christian, if you have entrusted your life to Jesus, if you follow Him as Lord, you are this light. Listen, it's not up for debate or it's not left to chance. It's not maybe or possibly. It's not about whether you feel like you are. Je- Jesus Jesus is stating fact here. He's not he's not at all uh, addressing your feelings. He's saying that one of the results of being a Christian is that his life begins to shape yours and therefore his light shines in you and through you. Now listen, you don't work your way toward this. You don't start out as a dim light and somehow work your way to a brighter light. Uh, You can't manufacture this. It's who you already are. If you are a child of God in Christ, I just want everyone to understand this, that if you are a child of God in Christ, please hear me here. You are the light of the world. You are. In the verse just before this one, Jesus references salt in the same way. You are the salt of the earth, he declares. Salt preserves and flavors. He's saying that we are, in effect, we are seasoning from heaven, sprinkled throughout the world to preserve what's good. We're to be rubbed into society, not removed from it. We're to be engaged, integrated, and interested in what's going on in the world and in the lives of people. We're to be flavorful, interesting people who enhance our world. You hear me? Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't want us withdrawing into our own privatized Christian circles No, we're to be out with people, including lost people, which obviously presupposes closeness and proximity. In the same way, light enters the darkness. Light goes into dark places and it illuminates. Light reveals and directs. Light provides comfort and hope. Now, isn't that the model that Jesus set before us? He didn't wait in the synagogue for people to come to him. He went to where the people were. He made time for them and he hung out with them so much so that the religious leaders faulted him for it. Jesus met people in their various places of need. And I love how many times it's said that when he saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion. Moved. May I just ask, when was the last time you were moved by an overwhelming flood of compassion? Church, knowing this about Jesus... means that we must get out with people if we're to see their needs and feel for them as Jesus did. If we're only interested in setting them straight or proving them wrong or stating our case then we're not really listening or caring for them at all. Now, obviously, we want and we need to be truthful. We need to be truthful about sin and what sin does. But if we're just preaching at people from behind church walls, instead of entering their plight with understanding and compassion, then we're really not helping them. Isn't this what Christmas is all about? That Jesus left the glories of heaven to meet us in the muck and mire of our sinfulness and do whatever was necessary to rescue us from it. I think it's important that we never forget that Jesus was called a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. Our battle... Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, It's against spiritual forces of evil. People are not our enemy. Lost people are not our enemy. Unbelievers are not our enemy. They're simply blind to the light of the gospel. And therefore, they're just like us before the light of Christ shone upon our lives. I want you to hear this quote from a man named Christopher Wright, uh, who is a, a leading voice in missions today. He writes, If a piece of meat goes rotten, it's no use blaming the meat. That's what happens when meat is left out on its own. The question to ask is, where is the salt? If a house gets dark at night, it's no use blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If society becomes more corrupt and dark, it's no use blaming society. That's what fallen human nature does When left unchecked and unchallenged, the question to ask is, where are the Christians? Where are the saints who will actually live as saints in the public square? Where are those who see their mission as God's people to live and work and witness in the marketplace and pay whatever cost of doing so? By the way, church, I just want you to know that, that this is one reason why we're very intentional about what we schedule at the church and what we ask you to participate in because we don't want to overload your schedule. We know that you spend much more time out in the world than you will at church. I think that's a, generally a good thing. So, maybe once on Sundays and hopefully once throughout the week in a life or community or support group of some kind, which leaves five days each week to be home with your family or relating to people in the world. We're very intentional because a city of a, on a hill cannot be hidden, it says. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. So, knowing Jesus means that your identity is being shaped by His. And when God transforms your life, others will see and take note of it. This is what it is to be in Christ. In Christ. Time and again, the Bible uh, says that as believers, we are in him. Meaning that he is the source and the substance of our lives. In fact, um, I did a quick search uh, this week through the New Testament and the words in Christ or in him occur over 200 times. For, for instance, we, are, we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. In Him we have forgiveness of sins, Colossians chapter 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans chapter 1. In Him... We are being united together as a Christian community. Ephesians chapter 2. And the references are endless and all-encompassing. We are in Jesus, and he is in us. Therefore, when he said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It means that his life is present in yours and that his light now shines through you. In ourselves, we aren't the light, but when we receive it from Christ, it reflects from our lives onto the lives of others. Darkness is everywhere in this world, as you know. And Jesus is saying that you are the force to combat it. You are. You are the agents of hope. You are, though the light of Christ, though the light is Christ's, you are the means through which it's shown. You are the medium by which His presence is brought into people's lives and awareness. When God wants to reach people, right, He typically does it through us, through people He's already. Reached When God wants to save people, he sends us with the light of the gospel. When God wants to bring hope, he shines through us. I thought about this this when I was reflecting on last Wednesday night's uh, carols and cocoa service, which for those who were there, you know, we, we ended by candlelight the service was kind of directed or ordered around the four themes of Advent. Hope, love, joy, and peace. And we, um, we lit candles representing each of these themes and we finished by lighting a Christ candle that centers everything. And from this Christ candle, other candles were lit and we passed the light from one to another, from one candle to the next, from row to row until everyone in the room was holding light. And we sang and we savored the moment. Some of us wanted to savor it more. But we didn't stop there. We took that light, each one of us, out from the sanctuary as a way of demonstrating that the light we receive from Jesus is to go out into the world. In our families, homes, neighborhoods, we are shining forth. Shining forth at work and school, our church is a ray of light in this Tree Lake community and beyond. Our board and staff wants our light to shine even brighter. Just last Thursday, you'll be encouraged by this, our staff toured the new fire station next door in preparation for its reopening next month. By the way, we've been invited to participate in that with them. We 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 met the main inspector who oversees that project. We met the fire chief, the, the the man himself, we met the fire marshal, we spent about an hour with them and they expressed, they did, they expressed their appreciation for us and the difference we're making. It gave us an opportunity to express our appreciation for them. And we talked about, we talked together about how to continue building a good relationship in the community. Because Jesus says, You are the light of the world. That's our identity. Now, having considered that, what instruction? What instruction does Jesus give? What, what is his expectation of us? What are we to do and why? And it's and I'm just thankful that it's very plain. Very simple, very clear. Verse 16 provides the answer. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your, your what? So they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I want to paraphrase that for you. Take your faith. Public, Take your faith public. Uh, Obviously, it's a personal faith, but but listen, it's never intended to be kept to yourself. Allow the influence that Jesus is having on your life to be seen. Notice that to be seen. By others, in other words, because you are the light. Let it shine. Jesus defines this as as doing good works. And it's implied, I think, that that they're done in His name and by His strength and and for the benefit of other people. Ephesians 2.10 similarly teaches that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I love how Tim Challies uh, explains this. He says, You are already very good at doing good things that benefit you. (laughs) We all are. From your infancy, you have become adept at expending effort toward your own comfort and survival. But when God saved you, He gave you a heart that longs to do good for others. Suddenly you long to do good to other people, even at great cost to yourself. After all, that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. It's what Christ did, and he calls you to imitate him. Now listen to his definition. I want this to encourage you. Good works, then are any and all of those deeds you do for the benefit of others. If you're a mother and you simply cuddle and comfort your crying child, you are doing a good work that glorifies God because you're doing it for the benefit of your child. If you're a student and you're applying yourself to your studies, you are doing a good work that brings glory to God because what you learn can and will be used someday to benefit others. If you work in an office and do your job with consideration to your clients and coworkers, you are doing good works that bring glory to God because you are living outside of yourself doing what benefits the people in your life. There's no task in life that cannot be done for God's glory. I want to be very clear here. Just clear to say that we aren't saved because of good works, but rather for good works. We're not working to earn God's favor. In Christ, God's love has has already been poured in abundance. Uh, Whatever good things we do are in response then to what God has already done. They are just visible expressions of gratitude. They are tangible ways of expressing uh, God's goodness in the world. And I want you to thank for a moment the difference this can make. What difference can good works really make? What difference can I have in in life when I go about my day and my week? What difference am am I really making? I want you to think about, to help answer that question, I want you to think about the difference it has already made throughout history. And i, I got to say, I typically would not quote three different authors in the same sermon, particularly lengthy quotes, but this one is so good. They've all been good. That's why they all made the cut, but this one is so good. This one's so good. It's, it's a little long, but you got to hear it. It's really a history lesson on the difference good works have made. It comes from a man named John Dixon in his book, The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission. He says, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, no one would have thought it possible to bring the nations to the worship of God through simple good deeds. How on earth could good deeds change a realm as mighty as the Roman Empire, let alone the whole world? Uh, As unlikely as it may have sounded at the time, Jesus' call to be the light of the world was taken seriously by his disciples. They devoted themselves to quite heroic acts of godliness. They actually loved their enemies. They they actually prayed for their persecutors. They, They cared for the poor wherever they found them. And we know, we know that the Jerusalem church set up a large daily food roster for the destitute among them. We also know that the Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest missionary slash evangelist ever, was utterly devoted to these kind of good deeds. For instance, in response to a famine that ravaged Palestine between the years 46 through 48, Paul conducted his own decade-long international aid program earmarked for poverty-stricken Palestinians. So wherever he went, he asked the Gentile churches to contribute whatever they could to the poor in Jerusalem. Christian good deeds, he continues. Christian good deeds continued long after the New Testament era. We know, for instance, hear this, that by A.D. 250, the Christian community in Rome, in Rome alone, was supporting 1,500 destitute people every day. All around the Mediterranean, churches were setting up food programs, hospitals, orphanages. These were available to believers and unbelievers alike, and this was innovation, Historians point to ancient Israel as the first society to introduce a comprehensive welfare system that cared for the poor and marginalized within the community. Christians inherited this tradition, but opened it up to Jew and Gentile, to believer and unbeliever alike. And what's been the result of all of this? Well... Within two and a half centuries, Christians had gone from a small band of several hundred Palestinian Jews to the greatest social force in world history. In fact, the influence of Christian good works was so great in the fourth century that Emperor Julian became fearful that Christianity might overtake the world simply by doing good works. Unquote. I think sometimes when we think about reaching the world for Christ, we overthink it. We need a strategy, we think. Strategy is good. We need a program. We need a ministry. Who's going to lead this for us? Who's gonna, I think some... Now, again, all of these things have a place. They're good. But I think sometimes... We wait to reach the world for Christ because we haven't yet come up with a strategy to our liking. Let's never underestimate the power of simply doing good unto others in Jesus' name. these things these things, may appear ineffective at times. I, I bet if we were to go back and we were to talk to some of those 1st, 2nd, 3rd century Christians, just talk to them in their normal everyday lives, I, I doubt they could foresee the effect their deeds was having and would result in. So these things may appear ineffective at times. Sometimes you may feel unappreciated. You may, you may feel unappreciated. You may feel taken for granted. Maybe you've heard the story of the young postal worker who was sorting the mail when she discovered a letter addressed to God. and <clears throat> She opened... She opened the envelope and in it was a letter from an elderly woman who said she'd never asked for anything in her life but she was in desperate need of $100 and was wondering if, if God could send her the funds. Touched, the young postal worker managed to quickly collect $90 from her coworkers which she stuffed in a separate envelope and sent back to the woman. A few weeks later, another Letter arrive, also addressed to God, and surprised and curious, the young lady opened it and opened this one too, and, and, and it read, Thank you, God, thank you for the money. Uh, I really appreciate it, but I only received ninety dollars. Those jerks at the post office must have taken the other ten. <laughs> Sometimes you may feel unappreciated. Or taken for granted. If you're doing good things to be recognized and applauded, you'll be very disappointed. But if you do them because you genuinely care and because God is renovating your heart, I love how God renovates our heart. Because God is renovating your heart, and therefore it's for His glory. The actual outcome doesn't matter as much as your obedience to the Lord. That's what matters in the end. We were created by God to delight. In God, and when we do, we live the best life imaginable, and we bring God honor, and when we help others to delight in God by serving them in his name, we help them to live a better life too. And and, and they and they may bring God glory too. <coughs> Jesus says here. That doing such things causes others to see something in you. We've all met these people, right? All met people where we've looked across the room and we go, man, something's different in a good way. Doing these things causes others to see something in you that actually points them to God. Something that causes them to recognize God's presence in their lives. Something that nudges them in a Godward direction and even prompts them to glorify Him. Church, the heart of the Christmas message is that God in Christ didn't keep to Himself. Instead, he emptied himself to serve a fallen humanity, therefore being the being the light and and letting your light shine gives evidence that God indeed is with us, as was announced when Jesus was born. It evidences his love, it evidences his practical concern for people second corinthians four seven reminds us that that the light that shines through us is like Treasure from heaven, but we, human as we are, are but earthen vessels. We're just like jars of clay, which rightly reveals that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So when people look at your life, when they hear your words and see your deeds, do they recognize God's presence Can they distinguish something different about you in a good way? Are you pointing them to Jesus in some way? There's an old children's song. You know it. Talks about this little light of mine. Dear East Parkway, you are the light of the world. You You are. You are. You are. And so let it shine, let it shine for the good of others and to the glory of God this Christmas season and throughout the years to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for speaking to us this morning, Father. You've been very good to us. Help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Impress these things upon our lives and make us to be doers of good, salt and light in this world of desperate need for the good of people, to the glory of your name. Amen.